Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, I speak with Olivia Block, Principal Program Manager for the Azure IoT team at Microsoft and all around IoT tech evangelist. We talk about his journey from embedded software developer to Microsoft tech evangelist. We discuss what IoT actually is, what IoT can do, interesting products using it today the future of IoT, and much, much more. Now on to the show. So before we get to today's show, not too much housekeeping today, just the usual suspects. If you like the show, leave it a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If there's a specific guest you'd like me to have on, hit me up on Twitter at LowCarbRob or on the Coffee and Coding Slack, which you can join via coffeeencodingpod.com slash slack. Um, I think that's basically it as far as housekeeping goes. And after that, I just want to just want to talk about today's episode. So as you'll hear, we have a really awesome conversation about IoT. The topic was actually requested by a listener who hit me up on LinkedIn. So shout out to you, Gabriel. Great recommendation and a super interesting topic. And then just a quick note about the audio quality. So I never noticed at the time of recording this, but I think Olivia was using a noise cancelling mic, which means when he pauses, you might hear silences. Um, Rest assured, that's just noise cancellation. I didn't edit out anything. And secondly, there was some distortion on the recording, which I didn't realize until it came to the time of editing. I didn't pick it up when we were actually recording. So I'm not sure if it's a recording issue or if I'm just being picky. But either way, just a heads up and apologies if the audio quality is not up to the usual standard. That being said, it's a super interesting conversation and a topic I knew literally nothing about. So if you're interested in IoT, then this is definitely required listening. And if you're wondering how IoT fits into app development, by the time you're done listening to this, you'll realize that Uber is actually an IoT product. Yeah, that blew my mind too. And with that said, here's my conversation with Olivier. Awesome. How are you? Thanks for the invite. You're very welcome. Thank you for agreeing to do the show. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. It's like it's uh, like a Monday, right? It is a Monday. What time is it where you are now? Uh, here it's nine nine in the morning. Okay, cool. All right, so early one. Let me actually shut the door of my uh, office, right? Because I definitely expect one of the kids to just uh, chime in to uh, <laughs> whatever. Hey, Dad, my wife is not working. Can I connect to my lessons? <laughs> Trust me, it would not be the first time something like that has happened. So. Te- technical difficulty seems to be the the flavor of the day when it comes to recording podcasts about technical things. Yep. Case in point that your webcam doesn't work, but it normally does. It's kind of a kind of a weird situation. Anyways, um, especially as I do recordings and things like that all the time. We usually use StreamYard for that, but uh, it's yeah, usually it's been well. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've used StreamYard before. I find it actually really good, but well, one, I've paid for this and two, it records. I don't know how StreamYard does the audio, but this one records the audio both sides. So at the end of it, I essentially end up with a master copy of both sides. So it sounds nicer for the podcast. I hear you. Um, I'm not sure. I've not actually produced with StreamYard myself. I've been just using OBS locally. Uh, and we recently switched to StreamYard uh, for the uh, for the IT show and so on on Channel 9. And uh, I've not been producing on that. So I don't know how they do that. I guess they have the different streams separate, uh, but I'm not sure. Okay. All right, cool. Kind of where I want to start. I want to talk about IoT stuff. Um, I obviously want to talk about Microsoft Azure. But before we get to that, I just want to kind of give the listeners and myself, if you could, just a brief 
of how you kind of got into because I saw you got into embedded before you know IoT was even a thing yep. and from what I could find out it looks like you went straight into embedded software as opposed to you know early 2000s was probably web development that kind of thing was flavor of the month so kind of what took you to working on embedded applications and then a brief overview of your journey from there to here totally yeah so I uh, as you might hear I'm French I don't know if my accent uh, comes up I, I know I know that you're French because I looked at your LinkedIn and I I saw that you went to a French university, but your accent's like a really nice blend of kind of French and American, I want to say. So yeah, it's a mix. I've been, as a kid, I've been living in different countries abroad because uh, my dad used to work to work for uh, all companies. So I experience uh, different countries, uh, speak different languages. And so I, I, I pick up on accents pretty fast and I've been in the US now for 12 years. Um, and so rewinding a little, um, to, I went to, to a engineering school in France and, uh, uh, and I studied uh, embedded real-time systems actually down there. And there was a, a new type of, of learnings in, in, it was like end of, of the 1990s. And embedded real-time systems was becoming a thing, as in software software um, being actually uh, distributed all the way down to what we call the edge now. Uh, and I found it interesting. It was actually in that engineering school, um, I started with you know electronics plus uh, IT. And then we had to decide for the last two years of the major, basically, you know, if we wanted to do one or the other, I was like, hey, you know what? I like both. I like software on electronics. And so I jumped on that embedded development um, thingy. So it was pretty interesting. And so out of school, I actually had my first job for a, um, a an integrator who was doing embedded systems. And I specialized in real-time systems, working on different solutions for telematic for uh, Renault in France or uh, working for uh, Neopost, was, uh, which was actually building uh, franking machines, these machines that will take paper and envelope, will fold the paper, put it in the envelope, seal, and then weigh and then stamp. Uh, all of that, uh, you know, three envelopes uh, per second uh, with the uh, with the billing at the end for a customer. So the real-time system in there was kind of uh, uh, important. Um, so I've done that for seven years, working on these embedded systems, developing them. I specialized in um, Windows CE, which was the Microsoft embedded um, offer at the time. And uh, and so Microsoft hired me, what, 13, 14 years ago uh, in France to become a developer advocate or evangelist for France um, and uh, to, to basically, you know, preach the good word about uh, Microsoft in the embedded space uh, in Europe. After a couple of years, I got hired by Microsoft Corp to do the same thing, but worldwide. Uh, so it was like, hey, so jumped on the opportunity, brought the family over. We had two kids at the time. Uh, and so we've been in the US for 12 years. And uh, yeah, so been doing that with, uh, with the embedded team for four or five years, um, you know, evangelizing, going to events, uh, creating demos. Uh, speaking uh, or being the demo monkey for our execs during these big events as uh, a fun part of it. Uh, and uh, then I moved to, wanted to see something a bit different. So I moved to a subsidiary called Microsoft Open Technologies. Uh, I learned a lot about open source, open standards. And I was a team that basically paved the way for Microsoft to, to do open source, to engage with open source uh, communities and projects, as 
as well as open source our own code. So we, we put in all the structure, the infrastructures, the methods, the, the best practices. Um, and we did that for four years. I, towards the end of these four years, uh, started working again on, uh, on embedded stuff, uh, bringing in some of the open source stacks that were out there, creating an open source project uh, called Connect the Dots at the time. I, I That reminds me, I need to go kill that one because it's still out there, but I'm not maintaining <laughs> that, which is not good. Um, and uh, and so it was, it was very interesting to see the evolution of Microsoft from the inside when it came to open source and then bringing in what was starting to be called IoT uh, like six six years ago, five years ago, uh, and uh, and and putting the open source, you know, on top of that, so that was uh, it was pretty interesting. And so the uh, the subsidiary actually shut down because uh, we basically gave the keys to the rest of Microsoft to do open source, so we didn't need to have a separate team to do that anymore. And at, at that moment, I I actually was looking at the opportunities at, at what I wanted to do, and I looked at Windows IoT on one side and Azure IoT on the other. And so I, I like to talk about the Microsoft IoT approach of things, but at the time it was really about you know the Windows approach of having an operating system that could be um, you know componentized, that could be uh, modularized uh, and used on IoT devices. And on the other side, there was a nascent, uh, a small team of twenty five engineers um, that that was starting working on services for uh, connecting these devices, uh, ingesting the data at scale, and and starting the the journey that we are. On right now. Uh, so I joined the Azure IoT team because I was like, yeah, I've done the embedded side of things. Now I want to see what the cloud services side of the story looks like. And uh, I've, been, I've been in that Azure IoT team for five years now, almost. And um, yeah, we started, as I was mentioning, 25 engineers. We are above, we're more than 600 now, seven services. It's been growing super fast. And yeah, we'll talk more about, I guess, about the approach, but it was, uh, that's my journey, right? Starting from uh, pure embedded real-time systems and going all the way up to the clouds so that was uh, pretty interesting yeah that, that sounds really interesting i, w- I want to just quickly rewind to um the open source part because you know obviously microsoft is this huge corporation and in my head as an independent developer open sourcing my code is literally i go on my github and i change private to public and now it's open source so what does it look like to try and take something that is you know part of microsoft or try and like how do you build a framework that enables Microsoft to create open source things or open source parts of their code or whatever it may be because I imagine there's a lot more to it than just you know flipping a switch and now everybody has access totally I think I think it was lots of learning especially the first two years learning because as a big car- corporation you know you have a way of working um, on, on you know your own code and and your own way you pick a, a big you know stress on you know not having your IP being stolen or used somewhere else and and the company honestly was making lots of money on royalties right for for and selling licenses uh, for the OS and and for the tools that were going on top of it and so on and and um, I think there's a lots of learning in terms of understanding what it meant to engage with open source communities first the first question we're asking ourselves and trying to answer was how do we contribute to open source projects and what's the value in it and i think there were were some you know external just hired 
to run that team. Um, and it was also um, Jean Paoli who was the director of that subsidiary. Jean Paoli was uh, one of the creator of XML. Uh, so he knew the, the standards really well. And, and it was that combination of open source plus open standards. We came from the enterprise side of things, mostly the standards and how how can we enable you know um, the industry on certain um, technologies and bring in our own stacks. And, and we realized that, hey, there's an open source play. There's that notion of if you demonstrate uh, to the ecosystem that something can work in the open, uh, then they will adopt that technology and it, it's going to be easier to make it a standard uh, once the industry is adopted something that they think is robust works for them and is developed in the open so there's that learning phase first uh, and then putting in place all the best practices so that at first we could contribute as in we could have a team from Microsoft uh, of engineers who were allowed quote unquote to contribute without any risk for the various um, you know patents that Microsoft has uh, and then it, it became more and more flexible as we learned that hey the risk is not there and there's a big gain there and so uh, you know along the, the, the few years that the subsidiary existed we evolved to, to be able to contribute and then we started looking at okay so I think it's it's working and, and we, we realized as well that open sourcing our code in many ways could benefit everyone and including us us first for sure and and we started you know putting the, um, the structures in place so that different engineering teams could open source their code and start accepting contributions from the outside uh, so we learned a lot about you know the various types of licenses and and then you know try and be good citizens i think that's uh, that's something that we try and infuse within microsoft as a culture is to be good open source citizens um i, I like to think that we did a, a decent job and that the company is on the right you know on the right track uh, when it comes to open source and engagements there i let you uh, from the outside judge of that uh, as a developer and i hope we're doing a good job and trying to uh, you know continue in the right directions i mean from a personal opinion i think a company like microsoft open sourcing anything is a move in the right direction and then i would say from being in the community mostly you hear bad things you don't hear good things but i haven't heard bad things that involves microsoft and open source so i would say you guys are definitely on the right track awesome appreciate <laughs> the second question just before we get to iot is so you said you were an evangelist can you just kind of dig into kind of what that means because i guess my question is how much of it is sales and how much of it is just raising awareness about the product and getting it in front of people so that they can make a decision uh, that's funny because as, as Europeans, uh, we we have this like reaction to the word evangelist because it has a religious connotation, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I remember when I was uh, a developer evangelist back back from Microsoft France, uh, I was not introduced my introducing myself as an evangelist. I was actually saying that I was in charge of developer relationships for Microsoft France. And the main reason was because yeah, that word evangelist was not truly accepted. But then I made the joke of like, hey, my title is developer evangelist because I'm preaching. Uh, you know, for Microsoft technologies, and my my Bible is the technology we're bringing to the table. Uh, so I'm showing I'm showing you, I'm telling you about my technology. I'm trying to make sure you're aware of it, and then that you eventually you know appreciate it for what it is and for what we can bring you or give you. And so at the end of the day, if you if you take that definition of evangelism, you know, at at the letter, letter putting the religious side of things aside, it actually it it actually is what we were doing. And then I was actually making the joke of like, yes, yeah, so actually to sum it up it's uh technical marketing 
because we were definitely teaming up with the marketing team, bringing in the technical the technical aspects of the discussion and and um, the, the way we were talking and and the people were addressing. So yeah, it was definitely about awareness, satisfaction as well. That was a big metric uh, that we were trying to track. It was like how our developers were were you know doing with our tools. One of the big tools for Microsoft developers uh, out there is Visual Studio. And so when when going out and evangelizing for our technologies, talking to developers were actually gravitating around Visual Studio and we were trying to make sure that developers were happy with the tool, were having what they wanted. And actually another part of the role was to bring the feedback directly from developers to the engineering teams. So this kind of like bi-directional interaction was with developers, uh, feeding them with information, giving them, you know, the the insights uh, and, and uh, all, the, all the secrets and the secret sauce that was going behind uh, our tools and, and technologies, as well as bringing from the outside that uh, that information that the engineering team uh, sometimes don't see or don't have uh, I like to call you know Redmond uh, campus Redmondia people live in you know uh, in, in Redmondia they don't really know what the rest of the world is about uh, so we have these teams in the field and, and in, in a different subsidiary across the world we're in charge of being uh, the representatives the advocates really uh, of those for Microsoft to the developers, but also for the developers to Microsoft. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. From what you just explained, developer relations totally makes sense to me. But like you said, that's probably a European thing and across the country evangelism makes sense. So interestingly, so the, the evolution of my role right now, I'm part of an engineering team. So I'm no longer an evangelist uh, or in charge of developer relationships. However, the engineering team have evolved. Uh, they have evolved from, you know, being these group of, of developers working on a product set of features and shipping them, kind of like tossing them over the fence. And they evolved to now having from within the engineering team, people who have been developers still are coding, but are in front of the developer crowd out there, of the users uh, and and so we we now have teams like mine in charge of what we call the developer engagement from the engineering uh, team perspective and that's very interesting because that relationship we have with the engineering team is even closer than in, in, it ever was because we're embedded in it we are in the engineering team I go through the specs and give my my perspective and review them um, it's no longer just about filing an issue or complaining about something not working it's about contributing to the making of these technologies and tools um, you know uh, and and being facing developers uh, every day that gives me that perspective that helps our engineer creating the right tools and the right technologies okay Okay, that's awesome. So I want to talk about IoT, obviously. But before we start talking about that, can you give me your definition of what IoT is? Because I googled it today, and there's like 15 different definitions of what people think it is. So from someone who's like right at the forefront now and who's deep in it, if somebody's asking you, what is IoT? What is your answer to that? And actually, interestingly, my answer to that has been evolving over the last few years, um, not because it's changed, but because my perspective on it has changed as well. I, I was coming more from the embedded side of things. So to me, the IoT was the T, it was the things. Uh, it was more about, hey, we have these pieces of technologies that are out there becoming smarter and smarter, more and more connected. And actually, before it was called IoT, I remember we're talking about embedded systems, and then we're talking about smart systems, and then we're talking about smart connected systems, and then IoT. 
IoT. And so I was coming from that angle of an IoT system was, uh, you know, a solution for connecting things. And things were anything, anything you could run some software on that eventually had sensors, actuators. That was what the IoT was about. And it, it evolved to becoming more something that, that could be called digital twins today. The idea is to digitalize a world uh, and being able to interact with the real world uh, from the digital one. And so it, it's really about putting together things, people, spaces, uh, and, and adding a, uh, a graph on top of that so you can have a smart interaction, automated, semi-automated, provide to humans the right set of data and insights into that data so that they can take action. So IoT for me is really becoming more of that uh, than it was just about connecting things. It's it's really becoming about adding the smarts of you know what the cloud can offer and the technology that can be embedded into these smart devices to the service of, of humans so that they can be more efficient, things can be safer, um, and, and they can actually go about their business uh, and, and invent and create without having to you know um, spend their time on things that are less valuable that can be um, not just automated but be made fa- like faster and smarter thanks to IoT technologies. So yeah, my, my definition is might be a bit long, but I'm really seeing it um, this way now. Okay. All right. So that makes sense to me. So then I guess my, my follow-up question to that would be before your explanation, IoT is, you know, my washing machine is a smart washing machine or my fridge is a smart fridge or my heating is smart heating. So I can go on my phone and there's an app and it says I can set the dial. Right. But to me, that's, that's something connected to the internet, but it's a convenience. It's not necessarily changing the world, let's say. Mm -hmm. So what would be an example of something that is IoT that is more than just, you know, some manufacturers basically added an app with internet connection to whatever product they happen to sell? I like your, your asking a question like that because what, what people very often see of IoT is the tip of, of the iceberg, which is the consumer view of it. As a consumer, you have your smartwatch, your smart fridge, and, and I like to take the example of the fridge, right? So the, And eventually the smart car is an even better example, but let's use the, the fridge as an example. The fr- for you as a consumer, the smart fridge is a gadget, something that makes your life a bit easier and funnier because you can see what's in there. Uh, eventually, it becomes a bit more interesting if you start, you know, subscribing for a service that will maybe fill in your fridge, you know, for you. As in, hey, I, I usually buy this kind of things, and then there's some algorithms in the back that determine that um, you want that or that. Uh, eventually, you're gonna input, hey, next week I want to cook that, and so eventually your fridge will create its own list of groceries for you. Uh, well know what's in there um we'll know also what's what's about to come before it perishes like it comes to date and so you now have as the support as a consumer from a not just a device but a solution because there's some smarts that have been added on top and you need to realize that these smarts are not just coming from your data and your fridge um there's a set of other customers who are using these smart fridges and these smart fridges now they can combine all that data anonymize it but then combine it to give you better insights uh like if other people have been creating these kind of recipes with a set of ingredients you have in your fridge well then they can bring that information back to you the other aspect of that is there's a slew of now companies that can provide new types of services these days you know with covid we're all working from home and you know takeout is big and delivery is big um, now you can have companies who are extending their business from you know creating a device and selling a device and then maintaining a device to selling a service that will add value 
due to the device itself, which in the case of the fridge is about delivering the right goods to the right places, to the right people. And then you extend that and there's an additional benefit because you're going to monitor things on that device now it's connected, not just, you know, what's in the fridge. You're going to start monitoring, you know, how, how much energy it's consuming. You're going to start detecting potential anomalies coming up thanks to nice, uh, you know, AI algorithms and lots of data coming from all these fridges out there. And now as the fridge manufacturer, you can improve the quality of your machine or your device by gathering that data, extracting the insights, determining that, hey, you know what, the compressor is not well positioned or, um, you know, you can save energy there uh, and then and, and you can make that more efficient there. Uh, and so the device itself improves. I like to think that companies then will also inject, you know, things that are more related to being sustainable, being responsible, and so saving energy, being more less pol- pollutants, less, you know, how to say negative for the environment. Um, and so like everyone ends up gaining in that. The consumer himself, they have a better device that's not is not just better, is actually also coming with a slew of services, will certainly last longer as well, um, and, and uh, you know, consume less energy in their home. Uh, and and the, the fridge manufacturer, now they have a process that allows them to permanently learning about the use of the machine, of the device, uh, and improve the device, enhance the device, reduce their cost for production, uh, and, and then, you know, go in the right direction. So at the end of the day, what you see as a consumer, which is my, my device is smart, and other people looking at that so he had dumb, I don't need that. That's something that can become very useful for both the consumer and the enterprise and the other partners that are actually uh, navigating around that, offering new set of services to the consumers. Okay, okay, that makes sense. I, I really like the idea of um, the fridge being able to take data and then use it to iterate on its products because that definitely speaks to me as something that could only be enabled by IoT now and it's not something that they would have been able to do previously. So that's, yeah, that's super interesting. And that's super interesting to see that most of our customers, the first thing they want to do is gather metrics from the very sensors on the machines. When we work with a company like selling coffee out there and connecting their, their coffee machine, the brewers, uh, to the internet, uh, the idea there is not just to count the number of coffees that have been made. The reason why they're counting the coffee, adding vibration sensors and things like that is to see in what conditions these machines are used so that they can optimize the machines. Uh, and that's the primary use we're seeing of, of IoT. It's just like monitoring how the health of these machines and extracting insights to make the next rev, the next version of that better. Okay. All right. So then I guess leading on from that, what are some of the more interesting or cool IoT products that either that you know people that you've worked with if you're allowed to speak on that or just products that you've seen just that are out there and I'm kind of interested from what you said in both from a consumer perspective so something that you've seen that does something that's amazing for a consumer but then also a company that's really taken what they can get out of that and use that to iterate their product or to launch something else or if you've got anything like that yeah I'm um- when I'm asked this kind of question, I'm always debating, you know, um, who's going to listen to my answer because mm-hmm. uh, basically it depends because there's like so many cool projects, but de- depending on the perspective you have. So so, so before you get to your answer, I would yeah. say the people that are going to listen to your answer here are going to be developers and for the most part, 
regardless of what they do we all like cool nerdy stuff so that's that's your audience and and so i would say that in terms of being nerdy i think you you can see where you know things like wearables and things like that going which i think are pretty cool however they're not taking off really fast i mean like besides the smartwatch you don't see lots of wearables out there but there are areas like the medical space where you can start seeing um some of these ones to action so one that we actually recently discussed about was uh with a partner of ours um called sensoria is the sensoria mat so that's a that's a mat that is for people in a wheelchair uh and and I don't know if you're familiar with that, you know, if you know people in a wheelchair, but one of the big problems for people in a wheelchair is that, well, they don't have sens- sensitivity, so they don't realize that eventually their body is getting ulcers, you know, ulceration of the skin is something that because the skin is compressed permanently for long hours, it can become a real problem. And so physical therapy, having people, you know, do special ex- exercises and, and things like that is, is critical. Apart from having, you know, someone coming up to remind you or having, you know, a schedule which is super strict um there's nothing to till today that we're really you know helping you as, as as someone in a wheelchair to realize that you have to you know um do a certain exercise or uh, that you actually don't need to immediately because everything is okay. And so the, the sensorial mats is a very interesting solution that connects these little mats that are super comfortable, have uh, lots of pressure sensor in it and can measure exactly where the risk of ulceration is and when it is. Um, eventually, uh, in advance of time before things deprecate, uh, can actually remind the user, hey, you need to stand up. You need to, or not stand up in that case, but you need to move. You need to change position. Um, you need to do that set of exercises so that you actually have your blood vessels working and the skin is is is, is refreshed and thing like that um, and besides that the exact same device now allows the um, medical uh, corp the, the doctors the physical therapists to have a, to keep an eye on their on their patients and typically instead of having to send a physical therapist once a day um, not especially at the best hour in the day or necessary time um, now they can actually adjust that they can have some of it happen uh, you know automatically with the patient being notified that hey you need to do that that and that and and then you know yeah we'll send the the, the therapist you know in a couple of days no need to send in tomorrow um, because you are actually doing good and so and then these doctors they have an eye on the progress on the evolution of things uh, with a, a simple device at the end of the day which is just like this mat with pressure sensors and uh, connected through a phone and an app that you that lets the the consumer in that case um you know know what's going on and do the right thing for themselves uh, and so you, you can see there uh, you know the various aspects what I find cool is that you have different worlds there's the consumer world there's the, the company building the device there's the medical uh, world and all of them now they, they're put together and and they can work together on you know the health of that patient uh, and and they have that tool that is uh, not in the way uh, and that is uh, you know doing lots of good uh, I'm convinced and there's tons of other examples examples like that um that i could bring up um but yeah this one i think is is um is the most recent one that i thought was interesting yeah that's that's awesome it brings to memory i don't know if you've watched the the silicon valley tv show from a few years back but i remember the i think it was towards the end of that every startup gets up and the first thing that they say is that their app is you know making the world a better place and it becomes this running joke because everybody says it but this is one of those things where you can actually see like it's actually making the world a better place so that's that's very cool 
and, and then you think about you know developers like real geeky ones uh, you know there's, uh, there's that joke going on on Twitter these days of that guy would make that bad comment about hey if you're not if you're using a mouse to code you know, I will consider you a junior <laughs> developer um, that makes me really laugh so these days I was actually tempted to say if you don't use a sensorial mat to to remind you to to stand up or, or walk around sometimes you're not a real developer uh, but <laughs> But at the end of the day, this is, you know, the kind of things that, you know, as a geeky developer, uh, you could definitely think about, you know, how do I create a system that measures things like my presence, how long I've been sitting there. It's super easy. Then you put the smarts on top of that, the automation uh, through flows with, uh, with serverless solutions. And, and for something really cheap, you can end up with a full-on solution with a UI that tells you, hey, you've been working that many hours and you've been staring at your screen that many hours and, and you've been walking zero. Uh, and you can combine the data with other sources of data like your watch or other devices from other solutions and thanks to the cloud you're going to gather all that data you're going to extract even more insights and take even more action so even for geeks like us you know there's this something to do with that uh, and then you put that in the enterprise world and it's like multiplied and so that's um, that's what I love with the IoT space that it's never ending you're still having the next thing that is coming and, and you gather even more insights and, and you build on top of that so that, that brings me to the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is, so in my head, I'm trying to piece this together, right? So let's say, you know, you have your, you have your mat and it tells you to move and it's connected to your phone. So you get a notification on your phone that says to move. So my question is in my head as a developer, I'd be like, right, well, you know, the Mac could send whatever it sends to the phone and then the phone on the phone and it could say, right, well, this is, this signal has been coming in for 10 minutes. So it means you've been sitting down for 10 minutes. So let's send a notification and say, you know, somebody needs to do this for you because you're going to get an ulcer, right? Yep. But in, in that, not ha- it doesn't have to be that specific example, but where does the cloud play into that? And then more specifically, where does something like Microsoft Azure play into that? Because to me, like Microsoft Azure, having never worked in the IoT space is a buzzword. Same as like, if you've never used Amazon S3, everybody's heard of S3, but you know, you might not specifically know what the capabilities of something like that is because it's a buzzword. So like, where does the cloud play into that scenario? And then where does Microsoft Azure fit in there? That's that's a great question because think about you know a solution. We always think about a solution you know from the perspective of the one who's going to use it, the operator, right? And the um, what that thing brings to him. Uh, the other aspect of things is like for, especially for the industrial space, you think about security, you think about this kind of things. The first thing that comes to mind when in terms of what the uh, the cloud brings is the scale. So when you want to extract insights from a device, um, you know, and and, and really trying to understand how that device works. Well, one device is not enough to get the right set of data. And and the thing is, when that device is used for the first time, you're not learning anything, you're just measuring. However, if you start multiplying, let's say you have now not one sensor mat to continue that example, but you have like 400, 500, 1,000 of them. So you're going to get data from all these patients, all their behavior. You're going to start seeing trends. You're going to start, you know, seeing numbers that are statistical and you will be able to actually extract more truth out of that because just one uh, sample uh, is not enough for you to determine there's a trend or there's a rule you can establish. Uh, so the, the, that, that means that you need to connect lots of these devices uh, to gather a lot of data. Uh, and so if you want to achieve that, you need to have 
lots of compute, a lot of storage. Uh, and, and then if you really want to run these algorithms on a lot of data, well, it becomes something that you cannot run locally anyways. Um, and we can talk about that a bit more. There's, there's ways that once you train the model, you can actually optimize uh, your workflows to run it locally. But to start with and to, to feed AI, uh, which to me, and, and I think this is a discussion we can have as well, is, is the next step. The integration of IoT and AI, because they are so entangled together, is, is key here. But AI, needs to have that infinite compute and, and storage that only the cloud can deliver. Um, and, and more specifically, talking about Microsoft, there's another aspect as well that, before I go into the Microsoft aspects of things, but uh, there's another aspect which is security and privacy. You need to have, you need to have a way of securing that connectivity and the data. The data is 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 as an ownership. It has uh, it has a privacy aspect to it, and this is super important to have systems that are able to manage the security and and to prevent all the things that could happen uh, with that data. People stealing IP or actually stealing personal information. And so, what better choice than going to the big cloud providers who actually have been doing that for years? Uh, based on the various solutions they deployed already, uh, and IoT now can benefit from the various cloud providers' experience in, in, the, in the securing data and, and privacy of people. Um, and we can debate a long time, you know, who's doing it better than others. It's not the problem. The problem is the experience and the tools that exist already in these infrastructure to guarantee the privacy, the security of that data. Um, so scale, privacy, security are, are, to me, some of the main factors. Um, the the uh, the other thing is you're going to start thinking about different types of businesses and approaches to them, uh, and and so one customer uh, is not enough as a company, right? You want to reach several and many customers, but will you be implementing and deploying one solution for each of them? It's way too heavy, right? So you need to 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 be backed up by something where, it, where first you don't have to redevelop everything, and then you can go from one customer to ten thousand on the same infrastructure on the same system. And this is something that only cloud providers can give you, where you don't have to focus on deploying your own and and maintaining your own data centers and growing them. As you're growing in uh, in terms of number of customers note that that gives you the opportunity also to scale down if you you know if your your company is doing well if you're uh, going in a different direction eventually you'll be able to uh, scale down as well because uh, the cloud uh, infrastructure will allow you to do that uh, and so as a company you will benefit from working uh, with a cloud provider in order to implement these kind of solutions because they they bring it that to you they give it to you and in Microsoft in particular I you know have been have been with the Azure IoT team for five years I was saying we've evolved uh, you know from having one service that was just allowing to securely connect devices to the cloud and just have a bi-directional communication, you know, say hello, receive a message, uh, which is basically one of the main scenarios in IoT these days. How do you send telemetry, receive it, do something, which is a command for stopping, start, starting, or whatever, setting a parameter on the machine. Uh, this is still the, the, the one key scenario that we're seeing these days in IoT. But we went from that, one single service, to seven of them. And we, we basically looked at what was needed, what were customers systematically building or asking for and we we as plumbers basically wanted to provide all the plumbing so that it could focus on the value add on top 
It was not so, so connecting safely a device. There's no value in there for, let's say, Sensoria building the Sensoria mat. Uh, they, they don't have any business in in maintaining servers, in uh, in deploying web apps. Their value is in creating a, a very smart device uh, with sensors in them and and being able to to deliver a service to doctors and to uh, people in wheelchair uh, that will be useful to them. And and so their knowledge is in their skill sets is in the the, um, the technology of the electronics of the sensors, as well as on the medical aspects of things. They've been in the world of fitness and wearables for some time now, and so they know what that is, but they don't know how to develop a cloud service. And so what we want to provide is the basic building blocks for them to build on top of and just focus on the value add. And this takes different shapes and forms depending on the types of customers, the size of the customer, their culture, their background. And so we have different ways of approaching it. Uh, and you can start very low with just having the uh, Azure IoT op- uh, offer, which is the, the device gateway for connecting devices to Azure IoT Central, which is a full-blown UI to do uh, operations on your devices. And then on top of that, you have um, recently announced Azure Digital Twins, which adds a graph on top of your digital twins um, that that allows you to create models of things people uh, places and and add some uh, very easy to use queries on top to interact with these things uh, directly or indirectly through Azure digital twins so we're going all the way from you know simply connecting devices to providing a very rich set of apis for building very advanced solutions end to end and I'm not even mentioning what's going on on the edge side of things because there's uh, one, one trend of IOT these days is that instead of, of being in a place where you're sending all the data from devices up to the cloud for having the processing happen up there, this is not viable or doable. Um, the evolution is that these devices are producing more and more data. So it's like the numbers are just astonishing. We're talking, you know, zettabytes of data that are produced uh, by IoT devices. I think we're talking, uh, I think there are actually tremendous scales already today. I think the IoT devices are, are th- thought to be able to produce as much data as the whole internet since its existence in a single year by 2025. So in one year, in 2025, IoT devices will produce more data than has ever been produced by the internet so far. It's it's these kind of, of numbers. And so that means that you have to find a solution to not have to send all the data up to the cloud because you know if you're if you're the solution developer you cannot afford that uh, you're gonna have to pay for bandwidth uh, storage these kind of things and so what we are looking at is a trend that goes towards distributing the intelligence so you build the intelligence in the cloud because you have all that power of storage and compute and then you you basically modularize you extract the right set of models uh, that will be basically um, you know runnable on IoT tiny devices. That's what we call tiny ML uh, or uh, edge compute. And you're going to distribute an intelligence managed from the cloud. So you have a centralized way of managing these devices. There are bigger devices that are actually running some of that intelligence. And you orchestrate the communication between all these devices to create a mesh of intelligence uh, out there. And so yeah, it might feel a little bit like, you know, in science fiction movies, not the good ones. But um, but yeah, it's it's where we're heading, which is distributing the intelligence. And you need to have a system that is secure, that is safe, that is robust. And you add your value on top. A Once again, Sensory Fitness Company will be focusing on developing the right set of modules, of models uh, for, for doing the right things in terms of, you know, um, getting the insights from the data coming from the Sensory Mat and, and sending the right notifications to the right people. And so that 
that's that's where they will want to focus that energy and that's where Microsoft is uh, trying to provide the right set of technology services tools so that our customers can focus on their value add okay all right uh, i'm trying to i'm trying to piece that all together in my head but i think it makes sense so something like azure or one of the other platforms you're talking about you've got security you you've got the compute power you've got the storage you've obviously got the the connectivity across all the different data centers that are everywhere and then underneath that you've got you know you send your data up you can obviously perform in my head i would say it's kind of physical analytics but i guess it depends on the iot product that you're talking about which is is obviously different between you know analytics that you would get in an app where it's just telling you somebody scrolled or clicked or whatever and then you've also got the ability to essentially it's in my head it kind of sounds like you're offloading or in a way you have this feedback loop where you've got feedback your device does something you got feedback send it up to the cloud all the other devices send it up to the cloud and then you know, you've performed some machine learning or you've performed some algorithm that says, right, the thing that the device did before is actually wrong. And now the device should be doing this. And you're able to send that information back and kind of this evolution of what the product does and what the product can provide based on the fact that it's essentially interconnected with all the other versions of that product. That's that's definitely one of the key scenarios there. Um, and, and you described it well. Um, it's, it's really um, about, I would say it's about actually not needing to send the data anymore at some point or, or less of it uh, by, the, by the numbers, by the volumes that you're going to be able to analyze. Um, you know, improving your devices, improving your flows, improving your services is definitely, as I was mentioning, one of the key scenarios out there. And then you can you can also think about how companies are, are in, in search of diversification. They want to extend their business. They want to change the way they're doing business. Uh, we're seeing so many trends out there, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, transportation, for example, uh, in terms of uh, services to people. Um, you know, today, taking a cab is something that, that we don't say take a cab anymore. We say take a Uber, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's not even mentioning the Lyft and other companies were doing that. And it went from, you know, having these disconnected vehicles uh, that companies were, were, uh, were managing through the phone or through a thing like that to becoming, you know, a service for people and a company like uber like lyft and others they saw an opportunity to do a business that existed forever like i mean cabbing and and renting a vehicle for going from a to z something that's been existing forever they approached it in a different way that was iotified basically hey where are the devices the cars can i pair them with some intelligence this guy is having this itinerary from a to b uh, and then there's going to be a person who's close to b who needs to go back to a and so i'm going to pair that driver with that customer this is pure ai in the cloud and that is fed from sensors like gps from the cars you know i simplify that Plus, it adds data from other sources, you know, the schedule of a driver, uh, its availability, uh, the customer preferences, all that data is gathered in the cloud and and makes for a a greater insight. And then you re-inject the insight for better serving the driver, better serving the customer. Uh, And and so that's a a perfect example of a business that's transformed thanks to IoT uh, to become, you know, more modern and, and different, take a different shape. And then there's like so many other businesses that are actually going through that digital transformation thanks to IoT that made it possible. Thanks to the fact that now you have these algorithms that can be developed, that can extract the right set of insights so you can take the right action um, back onto your uh, solution. Yeah, I think Uber 
at least in my mind, the way that you've just explained it is a perfect example of how you can put all of this together to come up with a product. That definitely makes sense to me. So so I have two questions left and I, I want to be mindful of your time. So the first question is just one that I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on. And it's obviously your personal experience, but I'm still interested, which is what is one or more than one, if you've got more than one, IoT thing. I feel like you don't need to say IoT thing because Internet of Things thing yeah. that, that you wish existed but doesn't because you obviously see a lot and talking about the uber thing i'm looking at something that is essentially iot and i had no idea until you just explained it so yeah. what, what would be one that you really wish existed and currently doesn't and and my answer is bias because like being where i am i'm seeing things that are not on the market yet and so um, i'm kind of a in a place where i'm just like uh that exists <laughs> oh no it's not public it's not <laughs> so um but i would say in general um what i'm looking forward to and, and, and I know it's coming, uh, so it's, once again, kind of biased, is when we are combining, uh, you know, what can be done on site, on-premises, on a device, in terms of um, AI, in terms of what I like to call tiny ML, uh, as well as, you know, what we can do with uh, human interaction, um, you know, voice recognition, motion sensing, and also eventually the rendering of that information. Having a device that can project uh, and 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 hologram uh, can be way more powerful than having to read a data sheet. Uh, so, like when you have a, an equipment that allows you to see things in three dimensions, uh, that are actually adapted to who you are as a person, and and that uh, will help you in your day to day. Whether it's your job, whether it's your personal, you know, entertainment whether it's uh, your health um, having this mix of virtual reality augmented reality uh, IOT sensing uh, and AI uh, all of that combined in a beast of a device uh, that would not cost much uh, you know I'm just like it's it's basically Jarvis right in in the uh, in the glasses of uh, of Tony Stark um, you know that's that's something that to me is the ultimate what I would consider one of the ultimate IoT devices uh, and I know I know for a fact that some companies are working on things we, we saw Google Glass like a couple of years ago they were trying at that the HoloLens is is it's kind of a bigger version of that does mixed reality augmented reality and so on it's it's pretty cool it's packed with IoT sensors um, and, and now with the uh, the arrival of TinyML I'm starting to see you know little tiny devices running a little microcontroller starting to be able to to recognize words on something that you would not just expect to be able to read a, a sensor and for temperature and send it up to the cloud. Now, the same device, because we're optimizing how uh, ML runs on them, is able to do anomaly detection, voice recognition, this kind of things. So we're bringing that intelligence to these tiny devices uh, and, and making it more and more efficient. And so I can see this kind of device that kind of combines AR uh, or mixed reality uh, with IoT and with with ai and i think we, we're going to see some very interesting things soon okay awesome all right well i'm, I'm ready for the tony stark glasses so w- whenever they come out whoever's listening like send me one <laughs> i'd be into that me too me too <laughs> <laughs> so final final question is an easy one which is where can people find you online where would you like to point people to if there's anything that you're working on all that good stuff 
Yeah, so uh, they can find me on Twitter at oblock, O-B-L-O-C-H. Uh, I'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, engage with anyone who has questions and is curious about what's going on over here. Otherwise, we have, uh, I'm, I'm actually the host for a uh, video series called the IoT Show. So they can also find it easily, aka.ms slash IoT Show. They'll find the YouTube channel. They can subscribe to that. We're going to have like we have plenty of IoT uh, things going on down there. Um, and so these are the two main places that we recommend if you want to reach out, uh, engage. Uh, we also have a blog called the uh, the IoT blog on Microsoft Tech Community. Uh, short link as well, aka.ms slash IoT blog. I'm trying to make things simple here. Uh, and uh, and so these are the various places where uh, if you want to engage with the IoT people at Microsoft, if you want to share your latest project, if you want to learn about what's coming next, um, this is where I recommend people to go. And and once again, Twitter is definitely the best place to find me. Uh, I think that's the way you, you reached out, right, Rob? That is that is how I found you as well, yeah. How, it was both how I found you and how I reached out to you, yeah. Perfect. It works. It does. It does. I can vouch for it. Love it. Well, thanks for having me, Rob. That was, that was a great chat. Big thanks to today's guest, Olivier Block. You can find him on Twitter at oblock. You can find the IoT show he hosts at aka.ms slash IoT show great short links and you can find the iot blog at aka.ms slash iot blog finally if you like the show you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating or a review you can do that either via apple podcasts or via podchaser.com the link is in the show notes if you'd like to support the show you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash donate caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast if you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter at LowCarbRob. And if you'd like to connect with like-minded developers and other listeners, you can do so in our Slack community at coffeeencodingpod.com Slack. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast. <laughs>